Hello everyone and welcome to Disaster Peace Publishing House. I'm Dev Soliver. And I'm Joan Metz. And this is a show about the wild west of weird literature, dramatic readings included. Dramatic readings included. Sorry. That's no, okay. <laughs> you know what, let's just keep this going. Yeah, it's a it's a chill um, after breakfast sort of chat that we're having. You, you know what else I realized doesn't make sense about the Five Nights at Freddy's movie though? Is, you know... <laughs> Vanessa really didn't need to be there. Like, she felt like she was just completely a byproduct of reshoots. And, like, the movie would have not only been better without her, but deadass been literally exactly the same without her, just shorter, because her scenes wouldn't have been there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what, uh, Elder Scrolls, right? Yeah, it's Scrolls Vember. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's Scrolls Vember. We're talking about uh, Elder Scrolls and... Uh, books from um skyrim and morrowind and oblivion and stuff yeah yeah and we're doing one today called pala this Mm. one is pretty well known in the fandom for being one of the best ones i'm not gonna spoil anything because there is a twist to this and it it may not be the most original twist like like all the um, twist is that they have been at Freddy yeah. Fazbear's the entire time. <laughs> no, it's 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 less about the the twist and more about the way they execute it. Because every good Skyrim book or yeah, Oblivion or Morrowind or whatever, it reads kind of like a fantasy type uh, fable or um, parable or something like that. And uh, it's it's just it's fun and quirky. And I th- I think this one is quirky, but it's also pretty goth. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna take a look at this one today technically content warnings necrophilia i guess but it's not really i don't know look <laughs> i'm just trying you, to cover my ass that's all look all i'm saying is if you start trying to to put a line there in elder scrolls lore you're and gonna you're gonna have your own version of the orangutan argument in in the fandom because yeah. there's a lot of like undead princes and ghosts. Yeah, in a world people. where necromancy is real, that line gets a lot more blurred. Yeah, then where do you put Cicero? Okay, where whatever this this sliding scale is, Cicero is at the very very end of it. We can all agree on that, I, right? I'm I'm sorry, I have to. As someone who knows, like, someone who's a Cicero fan, I have to jump to their defense here. It's not a romantic uh, attraction that he has with the Night Mother. A lot of people read it that way. It's a little more maternal. It's a little more spiritual. Um, I just, I have to jump to their defense on that one because it's an old, tired joke that every Cicero fan gets really annoyed with. (laughs) Well, I still think it's funny and I stand by it. Let's get into Paula. I don't stand by it, but we, we can disagree if we want. Let's let's jump into Pala Volume 1. Pala. Pala. I remember when I first heard that name, not long ago at all. It was at a Tales and Tallows ball, a very fine estate west of Mr. Korup, or Mir Korup, to which I and my fellow Mages Guild initiates had found ourselves unexpectedly invited. Truth be told, we needn't have been too surprised. There were very few other noble families in Mir Karup. The region had its halcyon days as a resort for the wealthy far back in the Second Era, and on reflection it was only appropriate to have sorcerers and wizards present at a supernatural holiday. Not that we were anything more exotic than students at a small, non-exclusive charter house of the guild, but like I said, there was a paucity of other choices available. For close to a year, the only home I had known was the rather ramshackle, if sprawling, grounds of the Mir Karup Mages Guild. 
My only companions were my fellow initiates, most of which only tolerated me, and the masters whose bitterness at being at a backwater guild prompted never-ending abuse. Immediately, the school of illusion had attracted me. The magister who taught us recognized me as an apt pupil who loved not only the spells of the science, but also their philosophical underpinnings. There was something about the idea of warping the imperceptible energies of light, sound, and mind that appealed to my nature. Hey, Dev here, jumping in after the fact. The first few paragraphs of Paolo were a little slow and didn't really make for entertaining audio, and I noticed that about some other portions of the book as well, so some of the pieces of this have been cut out to make the show flow better. I understand accuracy to the lore is very important to some Elder Scrolls fans, but before you go writing angry comments, please keep in mind that a podcast has to be, first and foremost, entertaining to listen to. So with that out of the way, back to the episode. I just want to say, like, that was a bit of a lore dump. The other thing that, like, good uh, Elder Scrolls literature does is it gives you an interesting framing on a lot of the lore. You already seem bored. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just starting to remember why I never picked any of the books up when I was playing the games. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. (laughs) It would have taken more imagination than I had to apply that philosophy to my life. After the morning's lessons, we were assigned tasks before our evening classes. Mine had been to clean out the study of a recently deceased resident of the guild. It was a lonely and tedious appointment. Magister Tendixis was an inveterate collector of worthless junk, but I was reprimanded any time I threw something away. Hoarders. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very I real. Mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, it's, it, that is, they're, they're writing uh, about something real in the game, you know? Yeah, it's real personal experiences, and that's kind of what I like about it. Gradually, I learned enough to... Game mechanics, given framework. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I learned enough to deliver each of his belongings to the appropriate department. After one delivery to the Enchanters, I was leaving with my customary lack of appreciation when Magister Ilther called me back. Boy, said the portly old man, handing me back one item. Destroy this. It was a small black disc covered with runes and a ring of red-orange gems, like bones, circling its periphery. I'm sorry, Magister, I stammered. I thought it was something you'd be interested in. Take it to the Great Flame and destroy it, he barked, turning his back on me. You never brought it here. My interest was piqued, because I knew the only thing that would make him react in such a way. Necromancy. I went back to the Magister's chamber and poured through his notes, looking for any specific reference to the disc. Unfortunately, most of the notes had been written in a strange code that I was powerless to decipher. Okay, based on the content warning you gave earlier, I'm just imagining this is like uh, a Daedric Prince's equivalent of one of those conversation hearts. (laughs) And it's just like, it says in Daedric, like, be mine, question mark. (laughs) Like, if you went and licked the disc, it would just taste like chalk. See, I love your predictions for how creative they are. It's wildly wrong, and you'll see uh, at the end, but um, no, I think, that's I great. Think I'll fi- I think I'll find some way to, <laughs> to, to remain it. obstinate the, in the my most, first impression. The most accurate prediction you ever had was, end of episode four of Sonic High School, you said, I'm waiting for the balls problem to kill Vector. Beginning of the next episode, that's exactly what happened. So, A-plus on that one. Good job. (laughs) Here's the thing about making wild predictions all the time. Alex Jones figured this out in the 2000s, right? They don't have to all be right. It'll just be really, really funny when coincidentally one of them is. Yeah, like uh, the the frogs being gay. Look into that one, by the way. It's interesting. Um, Okay, but I'll, I'll take my own Cicero detract. 
Alex Jones does not get credit for misreading a headline five years ago to be homophobic. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that's fair enough. We're we're I'm leaving the robes of jokes for Alex Jones, and we're returning. Okay, we're returning <laughs> back in the joke room. Okay. Hi, this is Joan Nets. Uh, just a reminder: Alex Jones isn't funny. Talk to your parents today. Yeah. If you, <laughs> if you see them dipping into the peer pressure it's only funny to make fun of him i think they're putting chemicals in the dragonflies to turn the freaking conscience gay <laughs> i guess argonians would be the better what's uh, what what is the theory behind chemtrails because you could replace that with hist sap and it would be perfect. jesus fucking christ you know i don't know i don't know what it is i don't want to know let's move on <laughs> It's just, they go up and they go, ooh, scary, old man pointed cloud. That's what the, that's what the conspiracy theory is. All right. Anyway, back to the Skyrim book. They're putting his step in the water. Um, yeah, let's read the Skyrim the book. Is gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make that a shirt. <laughs> For the next several weeks, I divided my time categorizing debris, making deliveries, and researching this disc. I came to understand that my instinct was correct. The disc was a genuine necromantic artifact. Though I couldn't understand most of the Magister's notes, I determined he thought it to be a means of resurrecting a loved one from the grave. Sadly, the time came when the chamber had been categorized and cleared, and I was given another assignment. Thus, I was employed when we were all invited to the Tales and Tallows Ball. If the expected glamour of the evening were not enough, our hostess was reputed to be young, rich, unmarried orphan from Hammerfell. Only a month or two before, she had moved to our desolate wooded corner of the Imperial Province to reclaim an old family manor house and grounds. The initiates at the guild gossiped like old women about the mysterious young lady's past, what had happened to her parents, why she had left or been driven from her homeland. Her name was Bataniki, and that was all we knew. We wore our robes of initiation with pride as we arrived for the ball. Uh, at the enormous marble foyer, a servant announced each of our names as if we were royalty, and we strutted into the midst of the revelers with great puffery. Of course, we were then promptly ignored by one and all. In essence, we were unimportant figures to lend some thickness to the ball. <laughs> I love that phrase. <laughs> yo, this... <laughs> hey, hey, yo, you know they got them dumpies on them. <laughs> And in Skyrim, that is a rare commodity. I feel like, you know, it brings me uh, back to, like, Jane Austen novels where she's describing balls. I feel like I'm reading a Elder Scrolls version of a period piece, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is great, because I love period pieces. Well, it's... <laughs> I think the word puffery might have been the first thing to draw <laughs> draw yeah. you in in that. See, I don't think that's even a word. I think that was just something one of these Bethesda writers came no, up I, with. No, I think I've heard that before. Okay. In, in the... And the, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory if it is something made up, but oh I my swear God. to God I heard it. The next line gets so fucking meta. So we were unimportant figures to lend some thickness to the ball. Background characters. <laughs> I love that. They're NPCs, literally. The important people pushed through us with perfect politeness. There was, uh, she's going to be naming a bunch of people who gives a shit. Who begat Isaiah, who begat Cronlore, who begat Smingus. Yeah, intrigues at the Imperial Court and various royal courts were analyzed, gently mocked, fretted over, toasted, dismissed, evaluated, mitigated, admonished, subverted. No one looked our way, even when we were right next to them. It was as if my skill at illusion had somehow rendered us all invisible. 
I took my flagon out to the terrace. The moons were doubled, equally luminous in the sky and in the enormous reflecting pool that stretched out into the garden. The white marble statuary lining the sides of the pool caught the fiery glow and seemed to burn like torches in the night. The sight was so otherworldly, I was mesmerized by, mesmerized by it, and the strange red guard figures immortalized in stone. Our hostess had made her home there so recently that some of the sculptures were still wrapped in sheets that billowed and swayed in the gentle breeze. I don't know how long I stared before I realized I wasn't alone. She was so small that I nearly took her for a shadow. When she turned to me, I saw she was very beautiful and young, not more than 17. Are you our hostess? I finally asked. Yes, she smiled, blushing, but I'm ashamed to admit that I'm very bad at it. I should be inside with my new neighbors, but I think we have very little in common. It's been made abundantly clear that they hope I have nothing in common with them either, I laughed. She says, I don't understand the concept of equality in Cyrodiil yet, she frowned. In my culture, you proved your worth, not just expected it. My parents were both great warriors, as I hope to be. Her eyes went out to the lawn, to the statues. Do the sculptures represent your parents? That's my father, Pariam, there, she said, gesturing to a life-size representation of a massively built man, unashamedly naked, gripping another warrior by the throat and preparing to decapitate him with an outstretched blade. Is that what they call it these days? <laughs> it's kind of hot, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> It was clearly a realistic depiction. Pariam's face was plain, even slightly ugly, with massive tangled hair stubble on his cheeks, even a slight gap in his teeth, which no sculpture would surely have invented, except to do justice to his model's true idiosyncrasies. Or they just thought he was a dick. <laughs> that too. <laughs> and your mother? Sure, I... Surely they didn't make him look like this much of a piece of shit on accident, right? <laughs> He looks like an ugly fuck on purpose. <laughs> Gotta imagine that it, it has to be realistic. <laughs> he must have been wearing that kick me sign, too. Uh, just, <laughs> just off the dome. That's gotta be the reason. I feel like it says a lot that the statue is so horny, too. <laughs> I feel like there's something there. Or Bethesda is just, I don't know, the writer got horny for a second there. I don't know. I think they were just drawing from a lot of historical Greek imagery and not yeah. realizing that's where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> this feels like something accidentally horny written by somebody who has no fucking clue. Yeah, yeah. This guy's too straight to understand it. Um, Two dudes in a hot tub. He'll understand it in a minute, though. And your mother? I asked, pointing to a nearby statue of a proud, rather squat warrior woman in a mantilla and scarf holding a child. Oh no, she laughed. That was my uncle's old nurse. Mother's statue still has a sheet over it. I don't know what prompted me to insist that we unveil the statue that she pointed to. In all likelihood, it was nothing but fate and a selfish desire to continue the conversation. At first, she was reluctant. She had not yet made up her mind whether the statues would suffer in the wet, sometimes cold, cyrodiilic climate. It may be that she was merely making conversation and was reluctant, as I was, to end the standoff and be that much closer to having to return to the party. Uh, God, I feel that. Uh, <laughs> in a few minutes' time, we tore the tarp from the statue of Botaniki's mother. That is when my life changed forevermore. She was so fucking hot. <laughs> Her boobies were so big, you guys. Like, wow, bazunga dunga dungas. I literally might as well just not read the next paragraph, because that's exactly... Yes! No! <laughs> <laughs>
This is my Alex Jones moment. He's a lot more poetic about it. <laughs> okay, all right. We- well, I mean, okay. The research paper about the frogs being gay is also a lot better worded than yeah. the frogs. <laughs> They're putting boobies on the statue that make my freaking boobs gay. <laughs> she was an untamed spirit of nature, screaming in a struggle with a misshapen monstrous figure in black marble. Her gorgeous long fingers were raking across the, free- the creature's face. The monster's talons gripped her right breast in a sort of caress that prefaces a mortal wound. <laughs> God, I wish that were me. <laughs> <laughs> its legs and hers wound around one another in a battle that was a dance. I felt annihilated. This lithe but formidable woman was beautiful beyond all superficial standards. Whoever had sculpted it had somehow captured not only a face and figure of a goddess, but her power and will. She was both tragic and triumphant. I fell instantly and fatally in love with her. So there you go. Hey, uh, that statue, your mom's kind of hot. Can you leave me alone for a minute? No reason. Just want to appreciate the art. Just have a Shinji moment. Uh, Ah, no! I'm sorry, bad joke. Uh, (laughs) We're leaving that one in. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately we are. (laughs) you know, sometimes it's it's a relief when I'm not the one who said the most heinous thing on the episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, getting back into Pala, I had not even noticed when Gellin, one of my fellow Pala initiates... Pala, nuts! Sorry! <laughs> one of my fellow initiates who was leaving the party came up behind us. Apparently I had whispered the word magnificent, because I heard... <laughs> <laughs> Dude, what's your fucking problem? It's a statue. <laughs> I heard Botaniki reply as if miles away. Yes, it is magnificent. That's why I was afraid of exposing it to the elements. Then I heard clearly like a stone breaking water. Gellin said, Mara, preserve me. That must be Pala. Then you heard of my mother, asked Botaniki, turning his way. I hail from Wayrest, practically on the border to Hammerfell. I don't think there's anyone who hasn't heard of your mother and her great heroism ridding the land of that abominable beast. She died in that struggle, didn't she? Yes, said the girl sadly, but so too did the creature. For a moment, we were all silent. I don't remember anything more of that night. Somehow I knew I was invited to dine the next evening, but my mind and heart had been entirely and forevermore arrested by the statue. I returned back to the guild, but my dreams were fevered and brought me no rest. Everything seemed diffused by white light, except for one beautiful, fearsome woman, Pala. And that's the end of volume one. There's two volumes. Uh, He's going to need a really big jar for that statue. (laughs) God. Yeah, to recap for everyone, he falls in love with the statue. The woman's dead. So is the monster. He has a necromantic dealie. Yeah, yeah, he's he's in love with this woman who's dead and having some uh, fevered dreams about her, so... Bro's (laughs) creaming in his pants. Bro hasn't gone outside and touched a boob in 900 years. He sees a a booby figure and he goes, Awooga must perform necromancy. You know, it's so funny. A long time ago when we were reading Hogwarts School of Prayer and Miracles, you said something that I will never forget. Uh, you said, you're not always going to be the one who realizes when you're horny. 
And yeah. that's this. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. kind of perfect for this. Dude, you do you think that if this guy saw a Super Sonico figure, he would just melt like physically? <laughs> I don't into know. Into a pile of hot goo. Gosh, I don't know. I I feel like um, his dedication to Pala goes a little bit beyond. This guy this guy definitely has a docky. This guy has personal commissioned art. This <laughs> this guy has every figure that has come to print and a couple of garage batches. And at least one body pillow, right? At least. Oh one. yeah, I said I said that already. Docky oh, Makura is a sorry. body pillow. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's what that is. Okay. Yeah. All uh, right. Cool. Uh, he, he he's got he's got the the circa two thousand and four just Photoshop a face onto a, a porn picture <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, before he goes to horny jail, I think it'd be a good time to take a break. Bro's going to horny hell. (laughs) Yeah, literally. (laughs) Uh, excellent prediction. We'll be back in a few minutes. And we're back. Yep. We're back with volume two. Just like Paula's breasts will be <laughs> when the disc is activated. <laughs> Here's hoping. <laughs> Get that because they have volume too. <laughs> Why is it so funny when people don't realize how horny they are? <laughs> Meanwhile, you and I are here like fucking Hulk and Avengers. Like, here's my secret cat. <laughs> And, you know, he's wearing robes. He's not wearing pants. It's all the more Bro, evident when you... <laughs> maybe he's got a micro dick and he can have that thing on the fly, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Maybe, maybe there's a reason he's never been with a woman and a statue has got him acting this unwise. Well, that's not entirely inaccurate. If he's a... No, he's not a monk, is he? He's just a mage. He's an illusionist. Yeah, he's a... Well, okay, that, that makes you an incel. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no. Hey, ladies, check me out. No, don't go to grab it. It it's that big. I swear. Just just look. <laughs> just... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Pal <of> Volume Two. <laughs> How is this our most explicit episode since uh, since since Sonic High School? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, it's me. It's I am a bad influence. All right. <laughs> I'm the one who made the Shinji joke, not you. Kimichiwari. <laughs> Paula. Paula. The name burned into my heart. I found myself whispering it in my studies, even when I tried to concentrate on something the Magister was saying. My lips would silently purse to voice the pal and tongue to lightly flick the form La, as if I were kissing her spirit before me. It was madness in every way, except that I knew that it was madness. I knew I was in love. I knew she was a noble redguard woman, a fierce warrior, more beautiful than the stars. I knew her young daughter, Botaniki, had taken possession of a manor house near the guild and that she liked me, perhaps even was infatuated. I knew Pala had fought a terrible beast and killed it. I knew Pala was dead. As I say, I knew it was madness, and by that, I knew I could not be mad. But I also knew that I must return to Botaniki's palace to see her statue of my beloved Pala engaged in that final, horrible, fatal battle with the monster. Return I did, over and over again. Had Botaniki been a different sort of noblewoman, more comfortable with her peers, I would not have had so many opportunities. In her innocence, unaware of my sick obsession, she welcomed my company. 
We would talk for hours laughing, and every time we would take a walk to the reflecting pond where I'd always stop breathless before the sculpture of her mother. It's a marvelous tradition you have, preserving these figures of your ancestors at their finest moments, I said, and the craftsmanship is without parallel. They're all exquisite, but you like the one of my mother most of all, she smiled. I see you look at it, even when you seem to be looking at the others. It's my favorite also. Would you tell me more about her? I asked, trying to keep my voice light and conversational. <laughs> hey, hey, kid. Can I know more about your mom? I'm sorry. Can I know more about your mom? I mean, mother. <laughs> sorry, I'm mommy. Sorry, mommy. mommy. Sorry, sorry, mommy. mommy. Sorry. <laughs> I want to hear about her fighting this breast. I mean, beast. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i asked trying not to sound horny (laughs) she would oh she she would have said she was nothing extraordinary but she was the girl said picking a flower from the garden my father died when i was quite young and she had so many roles to fill but she did them all effortlessly she 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 had so many holes to fill Oh, rolls to fill. Oh, oh. I, I see. <laughs> so she was, we had a great many business interests, and she was brilliant at managing everything, certainly better than I am now. All it took was her smile, and everyone obeyed, and those that didn't paid dearly. <laughs> That's kind of hot. Yeah, that is kind of hot. <laughs> That's the energy I'm trying to go for. Yeah, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was very witty and charming, but a formidable force when the need arose for her to fight. Hundreds of battles, but I can never remember a moment of feeling neglected or unloved. I thought she was too strong for death. Stupid, I know, but when she went to battle, that that horrible creature, that freak from a mad wizard's laboratory, I never even thought she wouldn't return. She was kind to her friends and ruthless to her enemies. What more can one say about a woman like that? Poor Botaniki's eyes teared up with remembrance. What sort of villain I was to goad her so in order to satisfy my perverted longings. At least he's admitting it. Kink shaming is his kink. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love that. Oh, fuck, I'm so bad. <laughs> <laughs> God, I'm so, God, I'm so fucked up. Yeah, satisfy my perverted longings. I found myself both weeping and filled with desire. Paula not only looked like a goddess, but from her daughter's story, she was one. Oh god, here we go. That night, while undressing for bed, I rediscovered the black disc I had stolen from the magister's office weeks before. So he's just buck-ass naked. (laughs) Hey! Forgot to burn this thing, huh? Well, my dick's already hard, so let's get to work. You literally, that's literally the paragraph. (laughs) I had half forgotten about its existence. That mysterious necromantic artifact which the mage believed could resurrect a dead love. Almost by pure instinct, I found myself placing the disc on my heart and whispering, Pella. (laughs) A mental wish upon a star. You'll realize how creepy you are. I had a mental image of him putting the disc somewhere else, and I was like... Uh, on his on his disc. <laughs> but pronounced differently. Yeah. Uh, like, I'm not going to make the, the joke that I thought of. Anyway. Uh, 
laughing so hard I'm crying. What's, what's happening? He, just, he starts playing that record. <laughs> yeah. If you catch my drift. Yeah. Uh. And, it, and it probably would work, too. This dude's got needle dick energy. Yeah, and the thing does bring people back from the dead, so... A momentary chill filled my chamber. My breath hung in the air in a mist before dissipating. Frightened, I dropped the disc. It took a moment before my reason returned, and with it the inescapable conclusion. The artifact could fulfill my desire. Until the early morning hours, I tried to raise my mistress from the chains of oblivion. But it was no use. I was no necromancer. I entertained thoughts of how to ask one of the magisters to help me, but I remembered how Magister Ilther had bid me to destroy it. They would expel me from the guild if I went to them and destroy the disc themselves, and with it, my only key to bringing my love to me. That week, all the initiates were asked to choose a field of specialization. All were surprised when I turned my back on my old darling, School of Illusion. It seemed ridiculous to me that I had ever entertained an affection for such superficial charms. All my intellect was now focused on the School of Enchantment, the means by which I could free the power of the disc. For months thereafter, I barely slept. A few hours a week, I'd spend with Botaniki and my statue to give myself strength and inspiration. All the rest of my time was spent with... <laughs> Sorry, coming back to that mental image again. <laughs> onto the disc, and then... <laughs> like a... You, I'm cutting that out. <laughs> I'm putting so many duck quacks over that. <laughs> That's too much. <laughs> Man, I shouldn't have gotten high before this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think you made the exact right decision. <laughs> You're right, I did. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> learning everything I could about enchantment, they taught me how to taste the deepest levels of magicka within a stored object. Yeah, how? Yeah. Taste. That had to be the word taste. <laughs> <laughs> Every night when the laboratory closed, I practiced what I had learned. I could feel my power grow, and with it, the power of the disc. Whispering Pala, I delved into the artifact, feeling every slight nick that marked the runes and every facet of the gemstones. At times, I was so close to her, I felt hands touching mine. But something dark and bestial, the reality of death... I suppose, would always break across the dawning of my dream. With it came an overwhelming, rotting odor, which the initiates in the chambers next to mine began to complain about. Something must have crawled into the floorboards and died, I offered lamely. Magister Ilther praised my scholarship and allowed me the use of his laboratory after hours to further my studies. Yet, no matter what I learned, Pala seemed scarcely closer. One night, it all ended. I was swaying in a deep ecstasy, moaning her name, the disc bruising my chest. When a sudden lightning flash through the window broke my concentration. <laughs> a tempest of furious rain roared over Mirkarib. I went to close the shutters, and when I returned to my table, I found that the disc had shattered. I broke into hysterical sobs, and then laughter. It was too much for my fragile mind to bear such a loss after so much time and study. The next day and the day after, I spent in my bed, burning with a fever. Had I not been a mage's, had I not been in the mage's guild with so many healers, I likely would have died. As it was, I provided an excellent study for the budding young scholars. When at last I was well enough to walk, I went to visit Botaniki. She was charming as always, never once commenting on my appearance, which must have been ghastly. 
Finally, I gave her a reason to worry when I politely but firmly declined to walk with her along the reflecting pool. But she loved looking at the statuary, she exclaimed. I felt that I owed her the truth and much more. Dear lady, I love more than the statuary. I love your mother. She's all I've been able to think about for months now, ever since you and I first removed the tarp from that blessed sculpture. I don't know what you think of me now, but I have been obsessed with learning how to bring her back from the dead. Batanaki stared at me, eyes wide. Finally, she spoke. I think you need to leave now. I don't know if this is a terrible jest. Believe me, I wish it were. You see, I failed. I don't know why. It could not have been that my love wasn't strong enough because no man has had such a strong love. Perhaps my skills as an enchanter are not masterful, but it wasn't from lack of study. I could feel my voice rise, and I knew I was beginning to rant, but I could not hold back. I don't know what it was. Maybe that horrible creature, the monster that killed her, cast some sort of curse on her with its dying breath. I failed, and I don't know why. With a surprising burst of speed and strength for such a small lady, Botanike shoved herself against me. She screamed, Get out! And I fled out the door. Before she slammed the door shut, I offered my pathetic apologies. I'm so sorry, Botanike, but consider that I wanted to bring your mother back to you. It's madness, I know, but there is only one thing that's certain in my life, and that's that I love Pella. The door was nearly shut, but the girl opened it to crack and asked tremendously, You love whom? Pella, I cried to the gods. My mother, she whispered angrily, was named Zarlis. Pala was the monster. There we go. Yep. I stared at the closed door for Mara knows how much time, then began the long walk back to the Mages Guild. My memory searched through the minutiae to the Tales and Tallows night so long ago when I first beheld the statue and first heard the name of my love. That Breton initiate Gellin had spoke. He was behind me. Was he recognizing the beast and not the lady? I turned the lonely bend that intersected with the outskirts of Mirkarup, and a large shadow rose from the ground where it had been sitting, waiting for me. Pala, I groaned. Kiss me, it howled. And that brings my story up to the present moment. Love is red, like blood. There we go. Dumb shit. <laughs> yeah, I just, it, again, it's not the most original uh, plot twist, but in the context, it really hits like a train. Yeah, well... That's what you get for not learning a woman's name and then becoming obsessed with an anime figure of her. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Wow, he really did have a waifu. Yeah, like, but he, he had was... a monster girl waifu. Yeah, and he was really fucking weird about it. Yeah, tried to like conjure a tulpa of her, and messed up big time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you heard it here, folks. Don't get horny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's in yeah, horny man. hell now. <laughs> he's in horny hell. <laughs> so how did you feel about that? How, how did you, um, what are your thoughts and, and feelings? He was very gross. Yeah. He was very gross and he had what was coming to him, I guess. Yeah. Uh, trying to think of something funny that isn't heinous, uh... You think he at least got his dick sucked? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it was like a praying mantis situation, or was uh, Pala just doing like a funny Freddy Krueger one-liner <laughs> before murdering? Oh, I think it was fully a, um, a praying mantis situation. I hope it was. Did at least deserves to get his dick sucked after bringing it back to life. Yeah. You know, well, she deserves like, to die and to bust a nut. You know, he, a I, lot of effort, but he did do great. I, I think, I think maybe Pala sucked his dick and then chomped it off. 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like that's probably what happened here. Because uh, he's still alive to write this, um, but he did say love is red like blood, so that presumes a lot of injuries. I don't know. I'm kind of wondering what happened to this guy afterwards now. But I also kind of don't want to know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> here's the thing. The monster could be sexy because they do describe it as, like, almost fucking uh, the the woman to death. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost like a sexy statue. Like, the monster was a sexy well, part of it. We talked about the Greeks and their horny statues. Yeah. You know, maybe whoever was doing the statue was a monster fucker. Yeah. You never know. You never know. I don't know. I feel like I enjoy this story a lot more than you did, but... <laughs> well, I just feel like it's a good story that has the burden of having to exist within Elder Scrolls. Yeah, that's fair. You know, like, it, it picks up, but, like, they have to do, like, world-building stuff, and I'm... I feel like, um, and we talked about this in the previous episode, flavor text that's effective both builds the world around you and does so in an interesting way. Yeah. And I feel like even though the beginning of this is a little slow, it accomplishes that. You know, it talks about necromancy, it talks about enchantment and illusion and things like that. And so you learn from it, but you also, you get this particular sicko's perspective on it. Yeah. Maybe it's just, I, I find that stuff very boring because... Yes, that kind of stuff is interesting to like jump off from, but I don't, I don't find Skyrim's magic system and like, I mean, Elder Scrolls' general lore to be inherently interesting just in concept. You know, it is, it is interesting when well executed in itself, but you know, there's nothing about like, Ooh, illusion magic. Well, the, um, you know, the thing about Elder Scrolls is that it really did start as a D&D campaign that they decided to turn into a game. So a lot of the lore is like very similar to D&D. And if you're like me and you don't particularly care about the lore, like, you know, it's, it's hard for me to get into stories. That's, That's why I like this one for the twist, because it makes me like actually reading about the lore when ordinarily I don't. I yeah. will say that... I, I will say, too, like, I don't give a shit about D&D's lore, either. Yeah. You know, when I play 5e, I almost always write my own shit, because... Yeah. yeah. I, I, I want to say that, like, there's something you can learn from this if you're an aspiring writer, um, which is that if you're going to do an exposition dump, keep it character-driven and keep it relevant to the story. That's, like, the best way to do things. People enjoy character-driven and plot-driven stories a lot more than they enjoy exposition dumps. A lot of people make the mistake of doing too much world-building all at once. God bless J.R. Tolkien, but he he set this expectation for fantasy writers when really you don't need to. What this does well is having a character-driven story with human interest and emotion, even if it's, like, kind of disgusting. And that's the way you want to do lore correctly. Yeah. Your world should be mostly informed by the people that live in it if you are telling it through people's perspectives. Like, what use is it if necromancy is a thing in your world if people don't have strong opinions on the implication of its existence, right? Yeah. That's one thing I think that Skyrim has honestly done consistently well is the taboo around necromancy. Yeah. I, I've always found those types of stories just engaging in general because they're all about the futility of fighting against death. It's a, it's a very mm-hmm. it's a very human thing to be, be able to relate to. So to think that your story is going one way, like you think that it's going to be like, oh, it backfired and it's 
like there's some sort of like repercussion to it because it's wrong to no it worked you just you fucked it up and now yeah the the consequences aren't just like you can't do it it's like even if you could it would be a bad idea yeah and that's what i think is really interesting about skyrim's take on it yeah yeah. um there's also the, the necromantic quests and stuff have are were the ones i was the most engaged in when i was yeah. playing it there is one thing that I wish they would dig into more, and that's the, um, like, if we're talking about moral dilemmas, moral dilemmas surrounding illusion magic, um, because that's literally, like, you're messing with people's minds, and I don't think they dig into that enough. I'd love to see that. Well, it's because if you do, you make the player of the game feel too bad about using something that they have invested a hundred skill points in okay you know? but i also don't use necromancy for that reason yeah other people do yeah so, like but but it's like no what i'm saying is like that's the inconsistency in skyrim's lore is that like you know you can do both of these things they're both fucked up but only one is treated as an objective moral wrong in the narrative you like, know of the world necromancy you know? isn't treated as a moral wrong at least not in skyrim it's it's treated that way by the mages guild but skyrim doesn't have the mages guild it has the college of winterhold and college of winterhold allows necromancy well but i thought that it was uh that there were a lot of uh spiritualities in the region that made it so taboo it might yeah. as well be well, in the region, like, Nords just kind of hate magic in general, not just necromancy, but they're mostly against it. Um, yeah. So there's stigma against, like, like, and this is where you get a lot of stigma against, like, High Elves and Dark Elves and things like that. It doesn't just have to do with, like, the Old Mary Dominion. There's also the fact that High Elves use a lot of magic. They're just naturally more inclined towards it, and so they you know, they, they tend to be racist, and, and they justify it on those grounds. I, I might have just, like, been because of how much I put into the game, leaning really hard into the quest lines that happen to have characters with that perspective. Mm. But, you know, just... Yeah, no, Gosh, it's... there's too much to do in that game, and and so little of it pays off. Yeah, yeah, the quest writing, and, you know, it's just kind of an unfinished game. There's good quest mods, though. There's one that won a Hugo Award, I think. I forget what it's called, but I did play it, and it's pretty good. I just want to play Fallout New Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking oh, you, about Elder Scrolls. If you want um, good good environmental storytelling in Skyrim, play the Frostville Lighthouse. Because that's the one thing that Bethesda does excel at, is building an environment. So if you want good environmental story and play that one, it's chilling. Like, it's really haunting, and you have to do kind of your own detective work to figure out what happened to this family. And it's really fucked up, uh, but it's like, um, it's like emotionally moving, too. I don't know. I don't want to spoil it, but it's good. Anyway, thanks as always to Arya for the uh, the use of the theme song. You can find a link to her card down below. You can check out all the stuff that she's doing. Joan, do you have any pluggables? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on all my stuff down there. I stream on Twitch. I've recently begun doing uh, more art and game dev stuff instead of just playing Pokemon. So uh, if you're interested in that, come follow me there. I'm trying to get partner. So just if just follow me. I don't care if you watch or not. Just, just get, help me get those numbers up, y'all. Help me get those numbers up. Yes. Yeah, help speak- help the the number go up. Speaking of getting numbers up, would really help if you subscribe, like, hit the notification bell, leave a review. Tell your friends. Yeah, tell your friends. Uh, recommend word, it to them. You know. Word of mouth seems to be the most effective. Uh, yeah. Mode. Y'all have been super cool and like actually engaging with 
what we make. We appreciate the fact that we have a small, dedicated audience, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. been, that's been interesting to, to come into. Yeah, they're in the single digits, but they're there, you know. Yeah, no, y'all um, are important to us. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of being important to us, um, I'm going to start doing this now. I'm going to start naming Patreon subscribers at the end of the episode because I want to show that I appreciate them, even though I only have two of them and one of them is my mom. Aww. <laughs> Which is really cool of her. So thank you to Dr. Alex K and to Christina Bone for supporting me on Patreon. Your support means a lot. It's very helpful. Um, if you would like to subscribe to the Patreon for uh, exclusive content, bonus content as well for my other projects, uh, my webcomic Devil Went Down to Vegas, I'm working on National Novel Writing Month, so you can read chapters of what I'm writing for that there. It's a horror story um, about a guy trapped in a gauntlet of nightmares. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's been a lot of fun to write so far. And I also found out I'm the best in unpublished category with the Arizona Authors Association. Um, so I can now say I'm an award-winning author, and uh, you can purchase the magazine on their website, which uh, by, it'll all be on my link tree. <laughs> by the transitive property, does that mean that this is an award-winning podcast, or does that, if we claim that, will you get it taken away? <laughs> I could say it's it's in a podcast hosted by award-winning author. <laughs> yes, there we go. Yeah. And some skank. <laughs> all right well thank you for listening we'll see you on the next episode see you space cowboy don't come in yards (laughs) 